Hello everybody and welcome to a special episode of Quinton Quarantino for the spooky holiday season. This should be releasing on Halloween 2021, one of the scariest years, period. Now, we're obviously not discussing a Tarantino movie this time. No, as you'll see for the title, we're discussing the 1979 horror masterpiece Alien, directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald something else, who's, I can't pronounce, Chassette. Close enough. Uh, and with me today, of course, we have the entire crew. We have Finn Mason. Hello, I am here. And Fraser McMahon. I hate facehuggers, hello. <laughs> I just love them so much. They're so cute. And of course, Jack Kenyon. Just find out whether my whether my blood is acid. It's <laughs> <laughs> still it slightly is. acidic, it's just... It's more salty, I think, isn't it? Well... Wouldn't pass a um, breathalyzer right now. Oh, I am driving while recording this podcast, so... <laughs> um, really hope I don't get breathalyzers right now. <laughs> also, I'm not sure what the law is about recording podcasts in a car. I'm Yeah, that's, that's, it's actually governed under the Magna Carta that you're not allowed to podcast while driving. So it's <laughs> um, it, it's representative, yeah, representatives of King John, of which I am uh, the key one, actually. I was hired by his family, uh... The Goffer Sax Coburgs, if you've ever heard of them. Is it is it like is it like Back to the Future and you get you how got like know? given a letter? You were like, you know, you just how would I, how you would just I know? you just woke up one morning and then somebody like delivered a letter for you from oh, uh, right. King John. And no, you're like, no, no, you I opened the last, it. It's it like had... Highlander. You kill, you kill, you kill the last. Oh, you one, kill the previous you lawyer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you don't have to kill them. You can just prosecute them. I but did. you did, you did kill them. I, I, I did kill them. Now, listen. This is all very, very well, all well and good. But before we launch into the alien, I thought I'd do something properly scary. So I have created, and you can hear me now, slightly more muffled. I have created the scariest Halloween costume in the world. Right now, you'll be able to see this in the either on my social medias uh, at Dalek Platypus, or it will should be in the podcast description if you're in the right apps. But I'm going to turn on my webcam and show them the absolute glory of this beautiful, beautiful Halloween costume that I have. Oh well, so, my God! As as you can see, guys, to describe what I've got here. Um, okay, so what I've got is first off, of course, the Freddy Krueger glove that I've made myself with butter knife. Yeah. And a teaspoon. And a teaspoon. Of I, I, um, you know what? I've always, I'm always running out of teaspoons. You know, when I'm yeah. like, when I'm in the kitchen. And that's terrifying, isn't it? It that's is very terrifying. Very, I fear it. I have a King Kong. This is unsettling. Because of course, um, one King Kong is scary, but two, he's particularly scary for conservationists because Queen Kong got killed in a hit and run, so it's not going to ever be anymore. Um, so that's really scary. What hit uh, her? A car. Big car. <laughs> <It's> big car. <laughs> It's one of those Australian <laughs> mining lorries. Yeah, that's just a big... <laughs> Lots of big one of the Aussie, Aussie pickup uh, dump trucks. <laughs> it was that, that, like, tunnel borer that they used to go through mountains. Or she was, like, went she was straight going through for a morning swim and she got hit by a container ship. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then the wig, of course, a grey clown wig, because people are scared of clowns and people are scared of... I thought wigs. it was, like, an old like an old lady blue rinse thing. But... No, no, no. Pound, I thought that was a scourer. <laughs> no, no, no. Can't wait. I've also got, of course, a flayed, a flayed human being around my neck. Here he is. Very a sad. flayed human being. <laughs> what, what were they called before they were flayed? I don't need to explain. Jeremy. Uh, okay. Jeremy. I don't need to explain why Jeremy's scary. It's quite scary. And then, of course, the most scary thing. I have the 
the national insurance tax increase on my job, um, which is really scary. Uh, people are really afraid of that. So, yeah, um, nice. I'm also wearing a bin bag, which is really hot. Um, yeah, and being too warm is, is something I live in fear of. That's really the next big fear, isn't it? <laughs> being too warm. And that's yeah. not even like a fake fake thing. That's just going to be true. Um, there's going to be a bit of a cut now while I take off this horrible costume. Okay, so let's actually get on to the actual film. So, of course, we're covering Alien today. Uh, the writers of it, who I mentioned before, Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, from what I could find, didn't really do very much. They actually they did do Total Recall, the original, though, and were involved nice. in the later ones. That's, that's nice. the thing I could find that they did. I'm sure the other things they did were famous. I just haven't that's heard a, of them. That's a cult classic. It is. And now... Oh, oh my eyes are getting stuck on my head. So... Let's just go through the cast list, because uh, we don't usually do this, but because Alien has a very sort of small cast, we can actually do that this time. So we start with Tom Skerritt as Dallas. Uh, I couldn't really find very much interesting about Tom Skerritt. He's just a very famous, very good actor, basically. <laughs> uh, Gourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. Obviously, the yeah, the the OG, the GOAT, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney uh, Weaver. She's what, super awesome. One of the OG queens of sci-fi. I, I, I love Sigourney Weaver. She's fantastic. I did on her Wikipedia page. One thing I found was there is a picture of her and Ronald Reagan meeting the king of Saudi Arabia with absolutely no context. Bloody hell. Uh, and it was just, they were just in attendance. Uh, I found like a great breakdown of the night. Just, were they just at the same party? Yes. Uh, 1985, a uh, White House. Nice attendance thing and they invited a fair few actors while well, the actors but Reagan was name. a film star he was a B-movie star wasn't he, I know, yeah, he was, did, uh, and he was a sports commentator before that that would explain why he was inviting actors to a uh, political well, um, meeting because they were like his, they were like his crowd nostalgia it's yeah. <laughs> so nostalgia for far far better actors because Ronald Reagan was not particularly no good he was actor. not no. Um, they actually always made him wear a hat because his head was too small ironically he auditioned for the role, of, the role of president in a movie and he was told he didn't have president do, do you know what his chief of staff was called no Donald Reagan <laughs> no way yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Uh, we should not be laughing so much. He screwed up the modern world. He, he really, fu- yeah, he really, really fucked up. But no, yeah. yeah. Um, um, the next one on the list is Veronica Cartwright as Lambert. Uh, she was the child in the birds. So she'd already done horror movies. Uh, nice. She she thought she was playing Ripley until she showed up to a costume fitting because she didn't know she not not got that part and got given a different wow. one. She was also guys right. She was in um, she was in Scary Movie Two. No way. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Everything links back to them. They are. <laughs> if you've seen every scary movie, you've actually seen all films. All actors. Oh, yeah, yeah, in many ways you have. It's just the different combinations of those basic components. Yes. And that makes all films. <laughs> yeah, it's like Thousand Monkeys, Thousand Typewriters. Exactly. Right. Like, a thousand yeah, scary yeah, movie films. It's, it's, it's infinite shitty and jokes. monkeys and typewriters, David. Yeah, but you don't you don't need infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters to find a scary movie. movie. Yeah, you need it for Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, so the next actors are Harry Dean Stanton as Brett. Uh, very sadly, he has died. Uh, John Hurt as Kane. Very sadly, he has died. Um, really cool thing about any him. Other interesting facts about these actors. I couldn't find a lot about Harry Dean Stanton. I do have something on Brett. That's the interesting um... fact. They're dead. (laughs) They're dead. (laughs) Interestingly, they died. Um, John Hurt, I can give one on. So two things. One, you'll like this thing. David Lynch regarded John Hurt as the greatest actor in the world. I can can see that. 
To be fair, David Lynch also thinks that Nicolas Cage is one of the greatest actors in the world. Right on both counts. Um, I, I, I'd say, I'd say, he, you know, he, he knows what he's genius looking for. Is right every time. So the other fact I have, this is a, uh, a real David fact um, and a really pleasing coincidence. But obviously, uh, one of the things Hurt was famous for was I, Claudius, where he played Caligula, the villain, opposite Derek Jacobi's Claudius. And in Doctor Who, Jacobi is the war master, so the villain, and John Hurt is the war doctor. So it's a reverse of that. I, very pleasing coincidence for me. Next, Ian Holm, like who played Ash. He's just died as well, and he was Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings, the older Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit as well. I guess the main trend here, other than the actors being dead, a lot of them, is yeah, the fact the actors had pretty, famous. pretty amazing careers Prolific for the most careers, part. And there's yeah. quite a lot of like Shakespearean background, and just yeah. it's it's really so, cool. The next one, um, Yafet Koto, who is also also died this year, very sadly, played Parker. Um, he was you're, you're right about that because he got this role off the back of being the main villain in *Live and Let Die* with Roger Moore, the James Bond film. Interesting. I didn't um, know that. He he was a really cool guy. The next actor is uh, B- uh, Bulaji Badejo, who was the alien, uh, and he is it's, the way he got into. This Are we really giving acting credits to people who don't show their face? Yeah, we are definitely giving acting and, credits to this and he guy, is Jack, physically I mean, on people screen. give credit to Work Davis okay. for his work as an Ewok. Yeah. We are absolutely giving acting credits to Balaji Badejo. He was in London studying graphic design. He was originally from, I think, Nigeria. He was spotted in a Soho pub because he was very conspicuous at six foot ten. Ah, um, okay. Yes, uh, and so he was brought in to pay the alien. This is his only film credit because he was a graphic designer, and he ended up going back to Nigeria, opened an art gallery. Now, very sadly, he actually died at the age of 39 from sickle cell anemia. So, Aww. pretty... That is very sad. Really sad. That is very sad. Uh, especially because he basically represented one of the most iconic things from any movie, pretty much. Yeah, like, like, Xenomorph has, has, like, has, is, is part of pop culture, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, he's immortalised in that way, which is really nice, I think. The, another really tall guy is a guy called Neil Fingleton, who wasn't in this film, but he was the tallest guy in the EU. He was seven foot eight. Holy shit. Uh, and he was one of the giants in Game of Thrones, and he will be relevant to uh, the game we're playing at the end. Oh, God. Uh, find, the final <laughs> cast member, Helen Horton, who voiced the ship's computer, uh, she has sadly also died. And that's that's it for that. The last thing we say before we actually get started, which is that I am... Um, so I was watching it on a DVD box set that came out in 1999, making it older than my sister and nearly older than me. Uh, in it, I found this really nice uh, exclusive limited edition offer for an Alien Legacy Maglite, 14.95 each. Where does the offer close? 30th of August, 2000. <laughs> 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 no, I've missed it. Just Fuck. missed it. Just missed it. Just missed it, man. Um, it was only it. last millennia. <laughs> One more thing is that the working title for this movie was called was Star Beast, and we can jump straight Damn. in. Uh, I love that. But worse, worse name. Uh, I, I, it's I, not I like Blue it. Harvest, but it's getting there. <laughs> it's on its way. It's on its way. Okay, let's let's start. So let's, the film starts as you might expect in space, where no one can hear you scream. I fucking love that tagline uh, it, so it's much. A great tagline, it's so good. You get a slow pan over a sort of planet um, and space and credits kind of build you get the credits of the actors with subtle music and what's really cool is the more actors that show up the more kind of lines appear on screen until you realise it's actually slowly forming the word alien it's like forming the film's logo which is really really cool 
um, and terrifying because, you know, reading is scary. Uh, Mostly the, the soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah, oh, yeah the, the sound, the soundscape really. in the score is absolutely incredible. Amazing. If I recall, when they were writing the original score for like that, uh, that at least that section of it, hmm. the uh, the original score was not initially getting the effect that the director wanted, and they reversed it. Right. I, I believe that they actually turned it backwards, um, and when the audio was inverted. It started producing the sounds that they actually that they really got for were, were creepy love enough. That's I love the Alien soundtrack and yeah. the fact that somehow you know it's it's a soundtrack, so you're hearing something that still encapsulates it's silence, like silence, and, yes. a, and loneliness. Yeah, it, it, exactly. it gets used on the menus for Alien Isolation, the same bit of the soundtrack, and mm-hmm. the, the, even the menu screen for that game just shows Jupiter and the blinking light of the station in the distance. And it's just that soundtrack and the eeriness of it. It's like the moment you even boot that game up, you you immediately regret it and want to turn it off. That was again. literally me when I when, when, when I when I boot up that game for the first time. I was like, oh shit, yeah. I'm not gonna like this. I am I am actually gonna go and start again and properly play it myself after having watched this film because I am really infused. Anyway, uh, we then see a lovely model shot of the spaceship Nostromo, which is a towing vehicle that's moving lots of kind of mineral ore back to Earth. We see that and like little flash up on the screen we're seeing words kind of like tarantino films where you see it's, it's pulling a words. whole bloody refinery it's, for, it's yeah, pulling it's a full so mining. 20 million tons of cargo yeah. 20 million tons of cargo or or five hundred thousand million cream eggs uh which i spent time working out but i was slightly putting off see if you if you said that quickly it. enough that sounds like a science fiction unit yeah cream eggs yeah. are actually so toxic that cream in eggs. the future they're declared they must be produced off world and brought back <laughs> once they're safely sealed in chocolate the, the the manufacturing process for cream eggs produces so much waste that the only way we can do it is to do it near a black hole so that the waste can they use be they use a lead lined foil universe. to contain the, the, <laughs> the emissions. <laughs> Don't you know that moving industry off world to protect the environment is Jeff Bezos' space plan? So really, Wayland Yutani Corporation is probably just a byproduct of Jeff Bezos. Okay, now that we've mentioned Wayland Yutani, actually, I can say my facts about them. So one, they never, you never, they never say. Wayland Dutani in the movie ever. Ah, they just say the company. They just say the company. Wayland Dutani, right? So that was created by the one of the graphic designers, a guy called Cobb. Now, Wayland Dutani is a meant to imply a partnership between the Japanese and the English, according to Cobb. Uh, The reason is that Wayland is like basically a distortion of British Leyland, and Dutani was the last name of his Japanese neighbour. Um, I don't know, if it's British Leyland, that would explain why all the technology looks the yeah. way it does. Yeah. Um, but no, the thing that annoys me about that is, do you know what the god, the Norse god of blacksmiths is called? Wayland. So why is it named after British Leyland and not the Norse god the of Norse blacksmiths? The Norse god, yeah, yeah. A yeah. guy that makes stuff. It, that, that baffles me. But whatever. It's, um, a, it's a false They friend. didn't have the it's rights. A, uh... It's a real good coincidence. There's the model shots, by the way. One, the model shots in this movie are fantastic. The model's vast, by the way. It's about it's about twelve feet long. It is huge. The thing is, it started much smaller. The, if they can read, I'm not going to recap the whole thing, but you can find pretty easily the history of they, these models. And my God, they were the people who were making them were like constantly fighting, repainting it, chopping bits off, adding bits on. At one point, one guy after when one of them had like, another person had like left the project, another guy goes up with like a chisel and literally just takes off some of the stuff like some of the spires and stuff on it that a guy had spent hours putting on just just smashes them off. 
That's so petty. The spaceship, uh, the space, well, spaceships, I guess, in um, Alien and uh, as a franchise, they have absolutely nothing about them that's particularly realistic in any way. And for once, I don't care. Like their designs are ridiculous. Uh, in a world that's trying to be realistic, but honestly, they they become so iconic at this point um, for this for the art style that I just don't even question. I it. think Alien is the difference between realism and grounded. Yeah, like because it it's grounded, but not realistic and lived in. And yeah, yeah. it's this, yeah. they're not trying to make something that yeah. scientifically makes any sense. Mm. It's 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 like it's like some of the vehicles in Blade Runner, where like obviously they're very far and out there, but you don't care because it just feels so real and like lived in like like jack said oh what a choice what a choice to not go with any representations of digital technology because the sound design that they can get from everything Whoa. being like analog oh, computers yeah, and machinery. Yeah, yeah. not to mention oh, the film was aged far so better good. than other science fiction because of in its own the... franchise yeah like, it's, it's, exactly. it's so it's, it's it's so coincidental how like ridley scott's two biggest sci-fi movies which are this one alien and, and blade runner uh, have literally well, I don't talk about previews, but in this case, Alien and and uh, and Blade Runner have aged like incredibly well as the years have progressed, and have actually accrued more respect and yes, fame they than they did have. when they initially and released. And both of them make very good use of sound design from archaic technology mm, yep, evolved into the yep. future. And Prometheus, yeah. where's the sound design? There isn't any because everything's there digital isn't. and it's, it doesn't make any noise. Yeah. So the thing that we're saying about this, all this stuff, it all comes together perfectly in the design of the spaceship which we just see we see like a slow pan through the spaceship of like kind of these grungy pipe filled corridors all this faith functional looking stuff buttons and display screens that aren't like there is a there's not touch screens it's like chunky keyboards with um stuff stuff with like metal tips and just buttons everywhere and also Big all those little blocky monitors oh, i and, love it and um, the little dippy birds they have a dippy bird that's going in the water on the table oh yeah basically you have to understand that this is um this vehicle is basically a, a big tow truck crew by seven people. They are they are bored. They are just wage slaves, and mm, uh, it's yeah. like a typical office from the from the eighties. You yeah. have got desk toys and novelties. You've got pin up yeah, magazines. You've got um, what, what, it's it's and lots of cigarette smoke later. It's just yes. basically whatever little comforts they can fit into yeah. a, a very kind of claustrophobic, boring environment. Can I actually tell you something really cool I found out about the cast that I had to mention before? It's that when they were written and being like conceived, they were all written as unisex so that anyone could play them, any a man or woman, and then they were cast just according to who was like who was oh, yeah, they, they, that's why they're always going by their last names as well, because yeah. they, they mm. didn't have first names when they created the roles. But it were it I mean it just means that they focus on the chemistry between the actors and getting the right people and it works so well. So that's, we're talking about all the sound design, right? And this is where the computer starts to boot up as it like receives a signal, and it's properly like chunk, 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 chunk. Well, it's also it's it's literally using the mundane as a temporary like jump scare because this whole sequence is in almost yes. complete silence, and then suddenly this really loud computer starts coming to life, like um, a modem. Yeah, um, but it's some signals clearly been received. The lights start going on, and we go towards what is like this hibernation cryo sleep room, and. They're all wearing, the thing's all open, and everyone's in there, all the seven crewmen and women, all wearing, like, all, like, you know, white pants and white clothes. And I was like, I wouldn't cry asleep in white pants, because I think there might be an accident. You don't want to wake up like that, you know, very obvious. 
bound stains. What I, what I love is quite how little... Oh, uh, the alien cryo, himself in cryosleep. Again. They basically don't really plug themselves in with anything. Like, you, there's no, like, in vitro uh, tubes no. or anything. Like, it's like, oh, yes, they have, like, some heart rate monitor uh, yeah. pads, and that's it. Like, how yeah. are they getting fed nutrients during this whole time? This seems to be the least invasive cryo in all of sci Osmosis. <laughs> like that's been my, my like like part of my biggest pet peeve with Alien, which is the whole cryo sleep thing. Which is really? like, yeah, well, it's because it's it's like they're they're sleep for however x long, and it's like because it doesn't look intrusive at all. How the fuck are they getting nutrients or anything like that? So the idea would be that it's it suspended their bodily functions; so they don't need to eat. Which is when yeah. we're looking for cryogenesis in real life, that is the, the, that's what people are what it would going for. Because otherwise, it's an induced coma. Yeah. So well, let's that, assume it's one of the, the few pieces of genuinely advanced tech on the entire ship, and we yeah. don't need to know. The company will shell out for that because they, it's cheaper than the hiring old yeah, paying it's required, pensions, as opposed to paying <laughs> for entire entire dynasties of families. Entire <laughs> 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 families. Well, son, you were born on the ship, so you're gonna die on the ship too. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, my granddaddy died on the ship. His granddaddy died on the ship. <laughs> Daddy, what happened to mummy? Died on the ship. <laughs> oh, you mean my sister? Ah, well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking it. Right, okay, listen. John Hurt wakes up. Just him. Hangs out for ages. Like, you know that guy, the first guy to wake up after, after like a long night. You wake up uh, first. Uh, makes French toast for everyone. Being very quiet. Not like, get the fuck up. Get out of my house. Which is what I do. I guess get out of my house in this case is get into space. <laughs> get in the airlock. Um, <laughs> that'd be a good prank, wouldn't it? Like, oh, they're still asleep. And quietly, let's just let's just move them to the airlock, freak them out. <laughs> uh, so the crew. Then we cut and we get a whole crew sitting at the table, and we don't have like you know you get introduced to them in a crowd of them all chatting. You don't have like, hey, I'm Barker. I'm you know that or whatever. You just have yeah. It's it's, it's 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 more smoking. like you're just expected to know. There is it yeah. doesn't it doesn't tell you right up like right out of the gate. First people we really get to know are Brett and Parker. Who are like the engineers, aren't they? They're kind of like the downstairs crew. Yeah, so, yeah. And they're like talking about, do we get our bonuses? No, they want more bonus. They have less than the rest of the crew. They want, they exactly. They want to be equalised because but because they're like kind of the downstairs crew doing the engineering and the grunge work, they're getting less. And it's, it's a funny, again, these characters are really good humoured. A lot of the movie is, it's not like laugh out loud funny, but it's like humorous. These characters have a good time with each other. I think it's important when writing a character, because people are... People will try to be funny and and find humour mm. even in quite dark situations. This isn't even a dark situation. This is just mundane. In terms of their life, it's quite dark. Yeah, like it's like working on an Amazon warehouse in space. Yeah. Also, the the thing is so automated. You know, they've been everything's been done automatically. They haven't even checked anything when they get up. The first thing they do when they get up is like have a wash, eat, get dressed, and go and have breakfast. Because, like, why do they need to check anything? At this yeah. point, they're, they're used to everything being they, automated. They just point, do what the ship wants them to at this point. Yeah, but they assume they they are assuming that they're near Earth because they've woken up. But actually, as mother, the computer alerts to Dallas, the captain. Uh, he goes and checks, and again, it's a really cool sound design in this weird planetarium room covered in buttons with all the screens. Basically, they aren't near Earth. Instead, well, you'll see, but they've received a signal, and it's time for them to wake up. So while he's doing that, the rest of the crew they actually do they do go, they sit down, and they're like they. They realise they're not near Earth, and they are like, we can't get a signal from Antarctic Traffic Control. And I was like, Traffic Control seems like a weird term. 
for this movie. And it makes sense, though. I guess it's like, you know... Well, it's air traffic control. Like space traffic control. Yeah. But, I don't know, it's something... I just didn't expect to hear it, I guess. I do very much like the cockpit design of Minestrone, by the way. Oh, it's... Like, what is oh, it's gorgeous. The, the set design is amazing. Kind of tiered up no, one, two, I really two love it. But what is that helmet thing that's, like, sitting on a podium? It's like you know an, I mean? there's like emergency air supply if there's like a cockpit. Right, bridge. okay, because that's 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 what I was wondering about. Because that was just like, is there someone in that? Like the whole time? Someone new, <laughs> new the additional crew member. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it well, is it positioned was, there to look creepy. But it was going to be called The Eighth Passenger. That was another working title. And it was called that in some regions, I think. And it is I kind of like that. I like that. It is good. It is creepy. And, I guess it doesn't it work doesn't... for aliens, though. Also, it wasn't with them from the start. What you think that the, the franchise would be called the eighth passenger colon the six hundredth like crew, ship the member? Eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. I mean, let's be honest. It's not. There's never actually eight at a time. It just kind of replaces whatever the last one was. Yeah, and also it's That's not true. the eighth passenger works if it had always been there. But it's more like it more like hitchhikes, doesn't it? Space hitchhiker, space hiker, spiker, <laughs> spiker. Spiker. <laughs> One thing I always thought was really, really cool about the production of this movie is the fact that they just decided to like pretty much make the entire layout of, of the actual ship 360 degree yeah. so it looked better on camera. It was expensive as hell. And it was really, really hard to film in, but it, it was more immersive and it actually brought out that feeling of claustrophobia that is present with the whole entire film mm. all throughout and it just they looks incredible. Don't do that for the some of the alien ship that we'll get to later. They didn't no. do that because Fox... Well, like we can't give you that much money. Just you know, film it. Oh, it was because the weird, the alien. They didn't want to do like a really impressive costume for something that was only going to be in the movie for like three minutes. So that was why they were like, "You can, but we will make it so you make it so you like can rotate it so that you can yeah. look like it's lots of angles, but actually you've only got it from like one angle, which is quite cool actually. I like that. I like that sort of problem solving. But yes, no. It, it, I mean, yeah. The set. It felt. It feels like you're in. A real place. It, yeah. You feel like you're there bantering with Brett in his shit hat. And yeah, Tracy, exactly. Tracy Beaker. Sorry, Ripley. She looks exactly like Tracy Beaker. <laughs> so, Mother, it turned out, changed their course towards this planet um, because they received what they think might be an SOS. And in the cor- in their contract, as like a corporate ship, they it basically says, if there's a help. signal with possible intelligent origin, you have to or you lose all your money. And what's quite funny is you have Parker be like, I don't want to do this. Why do we have to do this? And they're like, you lose all your money. Because he's like cutting off Ash, who's trying to say what's going on, the science officer. And he's like, just let him finish. He goes, hey, we'll lose all your money. And then Parker's like, yeah, okay, let's do this. <laughs> Which I love. He's like way more keen. Um, so they're heading towards this planet and they you get this. What you see is that what they, they the Nostromo kind of disengage. The Nostromo is that the whole thing or just a little bit? I the Nostromo remember. is just the towing that it's the ship that detaches. Right. So the Nostromo detaches from the whole the whole like cargo vessel thing and starts to head to the surface. And again, really, really great model shots. They even say that the, the money's safe. They leave the uh, yeah the, the twenty million tons of ore in. Uh, <laughs> That's what the alien with. wanted. That's all he wanted. <laughs> Queen eggs. Um, again, it descends to um the planet this totally unknown planet and Ian Holm as Ash, the science officer, very, very placid and chill, and we'll find out why later. And they land on this amazing, like fog covered world like desolate any, world, yeah. Any episode of classic Doctor Who filmed in a Welsh quarry. 
Um, the landing sequence I find absolutely hilarious because the model shots show the landing gear very gently coming down yeah. to rest. And yes, the landing <laughs> gear lands on a, on, a, on a rock, but the rock gets crushed under the weight and the landing yeah. gear gently absorbs it because it's yeah. all well designed. And then suddenly inside and the ship, everything's broken and exploding in alarm. They're falling like, over. What the really hell? I, I, I'm glad you said that because I wasn't sure if I'd missed something. No, that is. There's just generally an issue with that scene is that they do not land hard at all, and yet the inside everything's a disaster. I I was wondering, you like how Americans clap when the plane lands? If like yeah. all the crew were like, yeah. <laughs> I think the implication is that some of the rocks punctured the hull in other places, but they didn't film the outside shots well enough to show it. Mm. Well, the thing is, I think one of the things with these shots, and it's one of the reasons I think they're so effective, but it obviously obscures what you can see, is that a lot of it is these just lights coming through like mist and fog, and it looks amazing, but also you can't really see what's going on. Yeah. It's tense, but not not too tense, because you're like, these people are landing somewhere unknown, but they're also, you know they're professionals. So like, even with the turbulence and stuff, you kind of have confidence they'll get through it. Which is good that they've managed I to mean, they're also landing a, a, a spaceship minutes. that's probably not really meant for atmosphere uh, and is absolutely enormous. And they're landing it in a completely unprepared place on a desolate planet with terrible yeah. weather and no visibility and very sharp, jagged rocks everywhere. This is not a good combination in general. No, no but um does sound like quite a fun night out. <laughs> Have a day trip. I've had a few face huggers, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, lads, lads, lads. <laughs> lads, lads, lads. <laughs> let's get infected. Let's, let's, let's. Um, of course, that's very much missing the deliberate role reversal of the movie that it's a man getting like impregnated and pregnant, which is was deliberate to make to make we'll people get to uncomfortable. That. We're on the planet. We'll get towards the the, the Ridley Scott. Let's make people uncomfortable. Let's make Fraser uncomfy 101. <laughs> I guess Brett that's like, he's going to take 17 hours to prepare. Tell him to tell him 17 hours. <laughs> Figgy says, oh, at least like, 25. 25, yeah. Um, so it's going to take Starting a while. Starting the trend the of, those, of those two repeatedly uh, exaggerating how broken things are. Maybe that's them trying to work towards their bonuses. Yeah, and that probably is, <laughs> because they don't want to be stuck there any longer than they have to be. So the only reason they're doing it is because they want to exaggerate their jobs. Mm. They're stuck on this planet. This sort of quite primordial planet as well and knowing what i know about the alien stuff i think that really adds to it what you then have is lambert kane and dallas head out to investigate the source of the signal why do they keep taking uh, lambert everywhere she's a nervous wreck i i just think they it, keep they bringing her on important like jobs it's like she's really not suited to a lot of this but maybe it's like i don't know it'll be good for she's, you she's like a navigator face your fears yeah so maybe that's why um she's the, a good person she can read a map the map they don't have. Um, <laughs> the, well, she's left, the, maybe she's like um, the intern, and they're just there. Like, Come on, you need to learn all this. <laughs> yeah, we can we can throw you in front of the monster. I guess maybe they decided that once they're already on the planet, her job on the ship do- doesn't really exist, so they just took her with them because what was she gonna do? Yeah, actually, to be fair, because Ripley's gone to d- help Park and Brett below, hasn't she? Yeah. Um. So that would actually make sense. I wait. Th- this is such a great scene because as they're walking, we cut between Ash in silence sort of watching them on a monitor like screaming wind outside with them and it's again sound design that's just just brilliant uh but so basically yeah so ripley park and brett like said down in the sort of bowels they're bantering doing repairs loads of gas vents um they're asking ripley about money and being annoying and i love it she just basically tells them to fuck off 
um, and then leaves. Um, and then they show that the gas vent is actually them. They can turn it off any they time. They just turn they it want. off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like I like to see like a prank show with them, <laughs> like <laughs> like the prank, but the space prank patrol. Oh, we've landed on a planet. Oh, and now John Hurst got an infected, and uh, the thing pops out of his chest and goes, "You've been pranked by the prank patrol." God. <laughs> and then Parker and Bet high five. Um, as a serial complainer, though, I, c- I can guarantee that when you find somebody <laughs> else who likes to complain about things just as much as you do, you absolutely pair yourself up with them at all opportunities. <laughs> and, you thrive. <laughs> you know, you, you thrive on the ability to just have someone that agrees with everything that comes out of your mouth. Why do I? Why am I your friend? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a serial complainer too, David. Just in your own way. I love everything. Yeah, I complain about people who complain. That's my thing. Um, anyway, the three musketeers are making their way to the transmission source, uh, monitored by, by Bilbo Baggins. And Ripley is then sitting there trying to work out the transmission origins. And then we cut to the best boy of the crew, Jones, the cat. Yeah. Uh, and of course, as Jack, I believe this came up in another podcast, ships with cats on them, always fine. <laughs> it's the, As the old saying goes, cat on a ship... It'll cat on a ship good. won't get hit. Your cat on a ship won't go to shit. Anyway, the three are moving outside towards this wreckage of a really cool, crazy-looking kind of like circular, ring-shaped kind of spaceship. This is where the visuals start getting. This weird. is where well, this is where Geiger really got to get have some fun. They tried to, if, for the unaware audience members, they they tried to make everything uh, alien about the movie disturbingly uh, phallic. basically phallic or, uh, or vaginal in appearance because they wanted yeah. to make it disturbing especially to male audience members so yeah. the ship basically one end of it just looks like a giant yeah. knob basically yeah, but guy, I, did, I didn't notice that but that might be because I'm innocent uh, Geiger, Geiger is like a really interesting artist and this was very much his bread and butter this kind of thing um, <laughs> and, it, it, cause, and it's because I don't know if it was one of the writers or Ridley Scott who'd like seen Geiger's work and was just like, I was repulsed by it, but fascinated by it. And so it, it really adds to it. It gives the film a unique look. Uh, I'd say the film would not be anywhere near as no. legendary without the the artistic direction that he provided. Yeah. yeah. And what we then see is them, so they go into this spaceship, um, sort of watched either from their, kind of from behind them or from like sort of a glitchy monitor that Ash is looking at. The, uh, the entrance they use is, is a it's a shape as well. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, yes, now I see. What, the entrance is shaped like something? Yeah, what I didn't could it that, be? Um, I think it's shaped like um, Mr. Blobby, isn't it? Because he's really scary. <laughs> One of the other scary costume creatures what from that, that era. The answer ship, it's... I put black carapacey, but I understand now it's probably more meant to be sort of internal organic than kind of external... Like external... Oh, yeah, kind of... I, th- I thought that was kind of a mix of the two, to be honest. It it's, it looks like bones. There's a lot of like bony. Kind yeah, of. it's it's very and much. It's very much outerworldly. It's super atmospheric. I mean, don't, like it's it's really scary. And actually, do you notice they've got the lamps that are like on top of their heads? They like come off and look like little, little, like kind of anglerfish with their like lamps walking about. The alien spacesuits are pretty uh, legendary at this point as well. Yeah, and they're very iconic. That's actually literally the next. The day helmet day. design so is iconic. fantastic. Um, the suit themselves, I mean, they literally just zip on the suit. I don't know how that's airtight, but the visual appearance of the suit, they have like... It's fantastic. Um, they have yeah. 
weirdly for such a utilitarian thing, all of the, the human technology in the Alien movies, including the suits, has like Art Deco carvings on the hmm. on them. They all like the the helmets look like something simultaneously futuristic and ancient because they have all these like carvings and engravings all, all over the helmet. I like I like the idea that Wayne Dutani has like an engraver service like Apple. <laughs> he can have so even the interior design of the ship has the same thing. There are panels that are just um, textured with patterns and almost artistic. Uh, they don't have a mechanical purpose. They're just a visual thing. They have to be fair. They've been maybe they were just really bored. Maybe that's what Jones has been doing. <laughs> He's very skilled. He's like there is actually. I'm going to come on to Jones facts later when Jones becomes more relevant. But there is a Jones spin-off thing that does Alien from his perspective. Um, a, gra- a little comedy graphic novel. And so I do wonder if maybe there'll be like hidden secrets as to what Jojo's is doing. Anyway, Hurt in this horrible spaceship, he climbs kind of up a wall to this. Horrible. I thought I thought it was like some sort of pupae, but it's not. It's like a chair with a dead alien on it. Even the chair's phallic. The the control monitor is on the end (laughs) of a very, very phallic-looking piece of machinery. It looks like a dick gun, is the way I would describe it. Yes, it does. It looks like a gunner's seat, but it's supposedly a pilot's seat. When they're doing the sort of faraway shots, to make the thing look bigger, uh, they used Ridley Scott's kids in the spacesuits, with smaller spacesuits. But and this is not good. So basically, these spacesuits did not have any like air supply or ah. kind of cooling, and there was a heat wave. And so the actors were almost passing out. And the, once the kids started passing out, then they put some fucking ventilation in the suits. I guess it's uh, pretty yes. standard policy ever since like actors like an actor died filming Star Wars. Cooling suits—they're not even hard to make. They got nurses in before they added cooling suits to the thing. But whatever, the music is. And this, I mean, the music is absurdly good here, though. Like, it's like scratching and like screeching. And there's, but there's also like little subtle backbeats in the thing. I can't really describe it. you just got to go look it up. Um, but what we would find out is that this is like an alien corpse. It's so old, it's almost been fossilized, and like stuck into the chair. And weirdly, I can't think why it might be. The bones are bent out at the chest. I've got to point out, the crew does not seem quite amazed enough that they have no. not only have they discovered a new alien race previously not documented, but that it's, you know, a 15-foot-tall humanoid. Yeah. It yeah. looks just Very like them, but much species. bigger. I and think the, because... None of them are remotely surprised by the fact that they basically just discovered a godlike well, giant race of spacefarers. It's probably because they, it's probably they, they've seen the movie Prometheus, so they know to be in the world. <laughs> um, I'll tell you something about this set. This was the thing that was destroyed by arson. And you know what? No one seems to know how. So the, the, the set maker's like, we made it all out of asbestos. How did it burn down? <laughs> <laughs> very, very skilled arsonist. No, so it was, it was on display, um, like in a the movie theatre, and it was burned, this, just this bit. So Wikipedia says it was a rabbi. He thought it was demonic. Um, other stuff I found says it was, IMDb says it was relig- really religious Christians. And then another thing I found said it was someone accidentally lit on fire when they dropped a cigarette. So we don't really know how this thing got burnt, but this thing got burnt. If it was someone dropping a cigarette, I'm assuming this thing was probably made almost entirely out of like, <laughs> petrol wood and latex foam, in which case, like, and, and probably flammable paints as well. <laughs> it was mostly, mostly bitumen. Oh, God. <laughs> An absurd amount of bitumen. 
No, but to be fair, I, I remember when I remember when I saw the space jockey for the first time. I was that is there, what it's like, called, yes. And I, I was there like I, I didn't know what it was when I first no, saw the movie. I didn't. I it took it took me a while to like it, it, it wasn't until I saw Prometheus that I was like, ooh. But um, but I see. But, yeah. but no, I I still thought it was like unsettlingly creepy, like yeah, in atmospheric I mean, sense. It's the fact that there's nothing else. At least as far as they know, nothing else on this ship so far besides yeah. a dead body in a chair. What happened to this guy? It's like they do say what's happened to the rest of the crew because like they've only found one. Well, does it? Does it explain in Prometheus? No, no, like, no, no oh, okay. not at all. Nothing is explained in Prometheus. <laughs> That's the thing. Prometheus the prequels don't even answer the questions anything. they're meant to do. <laughs> okay. Um, I wait for some reason, and I've written this, and I don't remember thinking this way, but whatever. It just says. He kind of made me hungry in my notes, so I don't know. Maybe I was really hungry what? when I was watching this bit. The of fuck! <laughs> I mean, you look like fried chicken or something. I was hungry. Uh, oh, anyway, God. when they um, sorry, so Dallas and um and Lambert are looking at this screamy skeleton, but Hurt finds like a hole somewhere else, and then we cut. a hole that looks like organic and melted through the floor. Yeah, either way, Ripley back on the ship thinks the signal might be some warning to keep away, although I don't really see I swear how that... in the extended edition, they actually show her analysing the signal. In the in the version I watched, you don't even get to hear the signal, which is weird, because the sound of it is iconic. I watched the original cut, the actual cut, and you do hear the signal, you do see her analysing it. So, I don't know what weird version you watch. The one on Amazon Prime did not have uh, the, the proper analysis of the signal, which is weird, because that the sound of it is iconic. It is basically like a, a, it's like a foghorn, but combined with like... a scream. <laughs> It's like Foghorn Leghorn. I say, I say, I say, do not come to this planet. Oh, that's one of my favourite jokes. <laughs> my chest does appear to be bulging. I say, I say, I say, this alien looks like me after I've been fried. Oh, God. Um, either way, Ash sort of weirdly discourages her from telling the others about this discovery yet. Gosh, Ash, Ash seems not quite on the level. So back on the ship, the alien ship, I should say, Kane like repels down this bony. Again, I I always thought it was just bones, uh, moist, bony, moist cave. I've written. Uh, That's a I very kind accurate of like a, description. A cathedral. I think it is supposed to look gothic. I'm gonna say he yeah. says cave, but there's nothing remotely cave-like about it. It's like the bit in a Halo game where Cortana goes, "This cave is not a natural formation." It's like no shit, Cortana. The walls are made of metal and covered in computers. <laughs> this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> this Wendy's is not a natural construction. It was built by the. That's what Prometheus Two is going to explain the origin of Wendy's. <laughs> you, I wish. I wish it did. I uh, yeah. I thought. That basically, this as he goes down this thing, I just thought it looked really fun. I want to rappel down that thing. I want to slide down it. Um, also, very fa- painful. It's like it feels like you know, like Class Action Park, where people were getting sued. It feels like this is like an unfought through ride at Class Action Park. I mean, he like says it's like slide. the goddamn tropics in here. I'm like you're in a spacesuit. Yeah. How do you know that? I think he's just maybe just he's talking about filming it. Maybe that was just John Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that, that that should raise alarms immediately. This planet is freezing cold. Yeah. And covered in um, like cr- icy, crystallized chemicals. Everything out there is completely I- I- inhospitable. And then suddenly he's gone into some this part of the ship, and everything is covered in a layer of steam and moisture. And he says it's like the tropics, and it's clearly warm in there. And yeah. I wonder why this room is like yeah, that. Why would why would they need this to be that? It's it's like that because of what's in the room. Well, is it because of what's in the room? Is 
uh, lasers because all the, blue, all the blue light effects were just lasers that they borrowed from the band The Who, who were on the soundstage <laughs> opposite. So they get to the bottom of this pit, yeah, there's all this mist, there's like kind of blue lasers and light that kind of responds to touch, and loads of fucking eggs. And he kind of trips on nothing, by the way. He gets into this egg pit, and he puts his hand over one of the eggs, and it hisses. And he doesn't immediately shit himself or leave. I would be both. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. E- eggs does not, are not usually a threatening thing. Because even if something <laughs> is alive in them and it hatches, it's a baby and it's usually slow. They are if you're a vegan. He yeah, knows there's something still... in it because he shines the light on it and you can see it moving. That's the, that's the next bit. This, this amazing convulsing twitching inside the egg. Oh, God, don't even. Really just gross. Don't even. <laughs> really awesome. Really gross. And it opens, and he looks in at it, and it's um, it's tripe, it's cowinids that they used. Um, yep. And then, shot out of it by air cannon, comes the face hugger prop. We just immediately cut to an external shot, so we don't actually see what's happening. We, we just know something has happened to him. Uh, and I can imagine how effective this would have been in the cinema, especially considering, whereas with me, with 40 years of hindsight, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> um, the next thing we see is uh, Dallas and Lambert just dragging, dragging an unconscious, unconscious Kane just back to the ship, and we have no idea what's happened. And then in the airlock, they're like, Kane's got something attached to him, which they seem they seem pretty calm about, quite frankly. And then Ripley's like, I'm not letting you in because there's sort of quarantine procedures, which is something I think we can all agree we're all very familiar with after two years. Yeah, we are. Um, it <laughs> seems, point. honestly, pretty seems sensible. The 24-hour to... quarantine, doesn't it? Especially um, an alien life form. And, yeah, and bear in mind, the ship itself crashed and sent out a distress signal, meaning something bad happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just seems yeah. like And she's like, nope, nope, you're sleeping reason. in the airlock 24 it's hours. The, it's actually just that they... Those I'll kick the sofa like... in the airlock and you can sleep there. Yeah. No, the sofa could get infected. They should have just given him a lateral flow test. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think they could have got that down his throat. <laughs> it's kind of occupied at this point. <laughs> Try and they, get the swab. They in. cut a little bit of the face hugger and they put it on the lateral flow test, and it just burns it a hole in it. And they're like, mm. <laughs> is, that, um, "Is that a negative?" <laughs> yes, I, I think that's. I think that's that a positive. Is a negative. Jack. If the lateral flow test. If the lateral flow test gets burned through, I think that's a positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, so Dallas orders her to open it, but she's like, no. Ash then just does open it. So, which in my opinion confirms that Ash is a libertarian. You know, don't need quarantine. It's against my personal freedom. I, I would mean, imagine. He also claims he was, he says, oh, I was just following a direct order from, uh, from the captain. Yeah. Except when Dallas is off the ship, yeah. she is actually the ranking officer. Like, she actually did have the authority to tell Dallas, no, I'm not letting you in, because until he's inside the ship, she outranks him. I'm also going to point out that this ship's lack of centralised control is kind of a problem frequently throughout this movie. The fact that everything has or can be done at the source. Um, like He basically overrided the bridge control by just pressing a button on the door. Yes, that that yes, that is true. It's not even like an emergency like lever or something release. He just... And then, like later on, everything in the ship—you have to go yeah. to the actual source to do it. You can't do anything remotely. To be fair, just having the self-destruct done very in one specific place is probably quite a good idea. <laughs> that one makes sense. Yeah, but uh, but you you might think that the, that 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 the uh, the bridge of the escape pod would also have control of that, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there. So they, the next scene, they cut off John Hurt's helmet to finally reveal this the pulsing 
Yeah, the thing is burned through the front of his helmet. So Ash, they, they, they're trying to remove it, kind of thing by thing, but the, whatever they do, it tightens onto John Hurt. So it's not letting go. Uh, uh, Yafak Koto suggests freezing him, which is totally ignored, and I think sounds like quite he a says, good idea. He says just it a couple of times. Uh, he He's quite smart. Apparently his lips weren't moving when, <laughs> when he does it. So it was this ADR. is one of those movies where like half the crew are actually in this horror movie are actually pretty damn intelligent. The other half are they're not stupid. Not, none so, of them. They're not stupid, but they're making poor decisions or the good decisions are being ignored. But at least they're still suggesting them. I don't think I don't think they're making terrible. I don't think anyone makes like and it's not really makes like an absolutely ridiculously insanely bad decision. It all in the context. Now I'm like, watching this a few times. I blame Dallas for a lot of this movie. I was going to say besides oh, Brett, Brett going off on his own to find a cat is one of the dumbest things you could possibly do. But whatever. No, they um, tell him to. They, they make the a couple of off. bad decisions. Dallas makes a few, Ripley <laughs> makes a few. They put John Hurt in a big Canon Pixma scanner, except, you know, it works, as opposed to normal printers. They reveal there's something down his throat, like, keeping him alive, but in this, like, coma. Really horrible. I'll tell you what, these aliens are fantastic in terms of uh, uh, manipulating uh, chemicals. Apparently they can restructure elements because they didn't find much oxygen in the atmosphere of that planet, and yet, after it compromises its helmet, it's feeding him oxygen. How does it know that humans need oxygen? The alien doesn't need it. That a perfect it somehow life knows exactly what its, what its prey needs to stay alive, even though it's never encountered them before. That'll be explained in Prometheus 2. <laughs> Each finger is a different gas, I think. The one's oxygen, <laughs> one's like boron for the ones that breathe boron, one's like cyanide for those really, like, Hardcore aliens. There's a methane one. There's a methane one. Fart, fart one. <laughs> so, yeah, no, so they try and cut it off and they cut, like, a little bit, tiny little bit of knuckle on this thing. Acid blood comes off, which, you know, luckily gets on the floor and not a person. Although it does get onto something Dallas is holding it. It doesn't burn through it. But that's a continuity error. Um, so it goes just through the floor, through multiple decks of the ship, um, until it ultimately stops quite far down. And honestly... They, they say it's like, is it molecular acid? I think I've eaten some curries that were a bit like this, quite frankly. Um, I think we see hurt in the infirmary, which is actually quite a good joke that I think about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we slowly pan around to Ash, who's at the other part of the lab. Ripley comes over, super casual. How's Kane? Oh, how's the alien? Uh, he calls it a tough little son of a bitch. And then that's when, like I say, you, and you let him in. And then that's when Ripley's saying, you know, I had the rank. Um, it's quite a weird thing for the, for the science officer to do break quarantine. I wonder if he, maybe he was working like the Trump White House, where like everyone who was meant to be doing their job just did a Didn't. different job. And <laughs> um, like the medical officer Ronnie Jackson, who had been the medical officer for ages, suddenly started like he like fake. Remember when he like said Trump was like def- was not obese, but it was by one pound, and he'd like Trump would have been like the same build as LeBron James. He only said he wasn't obese because they ch- they lied about his height. He, his weight was exactly what they knew it was. I don't remember a doctor actually saying, has Trump been to space recently because it appears you've extended his spine by four inches? Imagine if they said, actually, yes. <laughs> we, can't, we can't tell you, but he's in the orbital sword platform. <laughs> yeah, again, I've just written he's sus, a, sus AF, vote Ash. Anyway, we then cut to Dallas, who's listening to some classical music, which again, I think is a nice touch. Adds to the kind of solidity of the world, I think. He gets a call from Ash, and they go into the medical bay. Basically, Ripley, Ash, and Dallas find that the facehugger is gone, which isn't good. It is good, you know. It's it's great. <laughs> like the facehugger's gone. 
Oh, yeah, right, but they okay. don't know where it has gone. <laughs> yeah, if you if you if you guys were in this situation and you walked into like a medical lab with no creature and it was no longer attached to your colleague, what would what would you do? Problem solved. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> go out have a beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, I mean, continued stupidity. They just left him lying out on the table in the open with his thing attached to his face. I was going to say no, no. They didn't put him in a medical lab or something and locked it. The thing is, I guess Ash is the only one in there for now, and Ash knows he... Ash isn't necessarily scared of it, because, spoilers, guys, uh, I'm just going to say it, Ash is an android, and so he's <laughs> No, he's, he's just a guy who loves drinking milk. Oh, yeah, sorry, he loves. No, he's, he's full of milk. He, he, the, Ash's only crime was that he loved milk too much. Too much. Um, yeah, <laughs> That's so... what Peter, Peter say about, you know, milk drinking. If you drink that much milk, you'll turn into an android. Become an android. You become an android and you become and, full of milk. Yeah, and those are two bad things. Exactly. Yeah. I'm anti-android and pro-milk, though, so it's a very complicated Yeah, complicated it's a difficult position to be me. in. But in the in the debate, there isn't room for nuance. No, no. I'm the gray, I am the grey area in the milk-android debate. <laughs> um, they then very slowly and quietly search for the facehugger. Dallas falls over? Which gives us a jump scare. Is that what happens? I believe so. Because then what happens is the face hugger falls out of a vent and flops onto Ripley's shoulder and she screams and falls over, which is... But she's also, she's like way more okay with that. I I guess I can believe she'd be okay with it as she is Sigourney Weaver. But still, like, yeah, it is dead though, the face hugger. They, they, know, it's, they know it's blood is acid at that point as well. So it's... Yeah. Generally, pretty scary. That is true. I think it's, this could be the end of the film, like a fun indie short film over Sundance Award done. <laughs> oh, the aliens gone. Cut. But no, Ash examines it and he peels away bits of the face in a way that makes me want to turn vegetarian. Now, I believe I mean, that, 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 that prop was made out of like bits of dead chicken and. No, so it wasn't chicken. It was just gross. They the, whole to, they, the legs apart, like the skin on the legs of it is from chicken feet and stuff like that. Right, okay, because it, it stunk because they had to do like 10 takes of this and it was a hot. Oh, day. it was under hot. Under. under the, the lights and everything. Yeah. It, it's shellfish, it's mussels, there's tripe from cows and oh. sheep's intestines. It's like really like the worst to ducken. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Surely, surely the person with the egg in their stomach is the worst to ducken. <laughs> Very aggressive to ducken. <laughs> oh, you can make like a chest burst to ducken, actually. To ducken. That'd be really cool. <laughs> That's what predators uh, eat. Peter wouldn't like that either. <laughs> That's Predator Christmas. Yeah, they get a a lovely, a very Predator Hugh Christmas. A Hugh Allen. <laughs> the Predator Christmas special. Oh yes. Uh, anyway, Ash Ash wants to take it back for study. Ripley less happy, but Dallas acquiesces to him, basically revealing that Ash has been given total scientific oversight by the company. And oddly, he was added only two days before they set off, replacing a guy that Dallas have worked with for years. So really, really sus. But again, I'm just like, why are, Why is Ripley not? Oh, like... you, you, you had to drop that. You had to say sus at some point in an alien yeah. review, didn't you? I thought he said sus twice earlier. He said it, he said it, he said it before. But it's true. Okay. Also, I feel like there's probably... Uh, a a level of like espionage and uh, I don't know I feel like considering the way they work for the company I wouldn't be surprised if they have I don't know some kind of I feel like it's probably quite normal that suspicious things happen because the company says so and you just have to roll with it 
Yeah. I mean, Dallas that, literally says to Ripley, like I don't Amazon. trust anyone. Like, he's yeah. been around enough times to know the company just does things and you look after yourself and you go and you just ignore it. You, you, you go along with it, you get your paycheck and you keep going until you can retire. Do they keep your Amazon Prime. Alien? I feel like people don't retire. Presumably they retire when they get enough bloody money. No one who works in an Amazon warehouse is going to get to retire. Jeff Bezos won't let them. <laughs> They're going to be his fools. He changes the retirement David, age. David, the, the implication is, is that they're yeah. only working in this industry because the there's no jobs on earth that pay that much. But when you're doing like incredibly uh, risky, long-term space uh, jobs in, in this world, yeah. you actually do make a lot of money. Yeah, like, it's, I think that's like the oil implication. Rig workers. Oil rig workers have a similar life and they make a ton of money because of the danger and how long they're away. And the and just how horrible it is. Yeah. Octopus burst from a guy's chest on the oil rig. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Cthulhu's back. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so because you say Dallas, Dallas super doesn't trust this planet either. Dallas is just like, we're getting out of here. Why would you trust like, this planet? Like even before this I, point, I, I why would, would you trust, trust this, planet. this planet? I'm very trusting. Like a park is like, oh, this place gives me the creeps. So I'm like, oh, it gives you the creeps <laughs> after it's nearly killed a crew member and there's an alien on board your ship. <laughs> it gives now it gives you the creeps, does it? So they stay t- take off. They go and then they sort of gather around. They're smoking uh, and just having a sort of a laugh again. They're 10 months to Earth, which they're not happy. And then Ash is like, come see Kane. And he says, oh, what's happened? And he's like, it's best if you just come see. And I'm like, you could have definitely just said Kane is awake. So Kane is awake. <laughs> they go talk with him, uh, which is a really good idea for someone that should be in quarantine to go stand in the same room. No no masks, no no social distancing either. Just no, exactly. Exactly. The, you know, <laughs> give him a hug. I mean, we've already established <laughs> the, fa- the face hugger doesn't care much about masks. <laughs> yeah, only an N95 can stop the face sucker. Before they sleep, though, they want to go eat. John Hurt, who does look pretty awful, but he's with them. They're chatting, eating some salad. It's putting your mind at ease. I think they're eating. They're eating like pad thai. It looks like noodles and bean Is sprouts oh, in a sauce that he's now. taken out. That is it delicious. looks quite tasty, actually. And But sadly, it goes down the wrong way for Cade, doesn't it? And he starts mm. coughing. He gets a bit of heartburn. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote here, cat, in exclamation marks, because you see the cat in the background. <laughs> then Cade starts screaming convulsing, shaking. I mean, amazing, amazing performance of John Hurt. And then blood comes out of his chest, just a little bit. And then he sort of goes, starts to soak in his shirt and bloom. And then more blood just flies out, hits Lambert in the face. They did not know the, like the blood was just going to squirt out. Um, So she had like, the actual actress who played um, Lambert had like a bit of a panic attack. That's fair. Yeah, it's it's her legit I guess the concern is that that the facehugger prop has somehow (laughs) gone wrong. And is killing John. I'm going to be honest. I've seen this scene so many times, and it is the one of the few uh, horror and gore scenes that does not lose any effect. I was grimacing watching this last night, and I kept looking away, not because um, it's a scary scene, but because you feel the pain. Yeah, you rarely do, even with the effects of the time. I'm not going to lie. Feel how agonizing this is and the yes, sounds and ever oh it, it's so it it makes me grip my teeth this scene I'm, I'm not gonna lie i was i found it a bit undercut by how cute i thought the little alien was <laughs> i thought it was so sweet <laughs> it's the sweetest little tiny thing with the tiny little teeth 
Oh, it was so cute. And it looks at them. It like turns its head to look at all of them. Like, it's tiny little metal feet. Do you see it do? Yes. And then you see it like legs it. Tiny little screech. It just goes boom off the table. Do you know how they did that? Because it's really, it's really sweet. I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's got like a, a, like a rail that it's on and they pull it really fast along the no, rail. Because it's a very linear motion. No, no, no. What it is, is it's, it's almost that, but it's not. There was, so it's a puppeteer under a fake torso. with. That's what alien, I thought it was too. It was alien, a on a, alien on a stick. And there's a slit in the table that the stick can be moved. Oh, that's on. like a rail. So the guy, the guy that's just amazing. went. Yeah, but it's 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 not quite. Right. The guy just went funk with his hand right and just pulled it off. And there was a little air puff to make the tail move as it did. It's almost a rail, but it's a guy just with it on a stick just pulling it. And then we see the crew standing silently over a monitor as they eject what we can only assume, well, we know is Kane's body into space, kind of like Spock. And then they kind of ready up with non-lethal. They're like, this, this won't kill it. It'll just give it a shock. I'm like, why don't you want to kill it? I know Ash is here, but I feel like you just stopped listening to him now. Uh, because have, like, it's going to bleed blood everywhere that might kill the oh, ship. Oh, yeah, of you know, course. If, if no, that, they, they were on an upper deck when it did that. So if they're on a yeah. lower deck, it's going to blow a hole in the hull. They even specify it won't break its skin um, mm, that in, is, in, yeah. when they're discussing the cattle prods. So that this all makes more sense now. I forgot about that bit. Yeah, but Ash, Ash then creates the motion tracker. So what we have is they split into two teams. Uh, Ash, Dallas and Lambert, one team. Ripley, Brett and Parker for another team. Because splitting up, I know they need to catch it fast, but splitting up is really, always a good idea in a horror movie. At this point, they think the thing is still the size of a squirrel, though. So, I know, yeah. but they're going to catch it. They're going to catch it in a net. <laughs> they're going to, da- Parker has a net. And it broke out of a, of a chest. <laughs> And a net will... Also, I'm pretty sure the holes in the net are bigger than <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the the actual creature was last time they saw it. It is. The net bit is, is is silly and funny. I would love it if there was like an outtake of them just throwing this net over the full height alien and it just stands there with net on his head looking at them. <laughs> I like my new hat. Um, <laughs> no, so they're going to put it in the airlock and eject out in space. It is actually... Besides the net, it is actually quite a good plan. Uh, Team Ripley moved through a dark section of corridor... Brett and Parker repair the lights, and as they do the motion stock, motion stocker, the motion tracker starts to go. Something is five meters away. Uh, in a really good shot, we actually watch from the perspective of the back of the room as they come into the room um, with smoke and light behind them. Really good, really tense. They sort of track it towards this locker, and they stand over this locker with this net, which is ridiculous. And I was like, the cat's in there, and then the cat. Surprise, the cat is in there. How did the cat get How in there? How did the cat get in a seal? How did the cat get in there? How would the alien get in there uh, without burning a hole in it? It doesn't have, it's not got opposable thumbs. Whatever, the cat's in the locker. I don't know how. <laughs> uh, the cat is called Jones. It's time for David's Cat Facts time. Uh, in Aliens, the cat actor's name is Boris. This cat, in this movie, we don't know their names, but there were four of them. None of them were Boris. Uh, each had different dispositions for the different things. I said before he had got an illustrated spin-off called Nine Lives on Board the Nostromo. And finally, uh, Jonesy's most recent appearance was as a cosmetic item in the inexplicable Alien X Fortnite crossover. Oh Because my God. Fortnite isn't a game for children. No, 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 no. It's a game that's suitable to have Deadpool and aliens and the alien in it. Fortnite continues to astound me with how bizarre it is. It's the um, end point of capitalism. <laughs> it is it is where all of yeah. capitalist philosophy leads. All roads lead to Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite. <laughs> that's what the um I believe that's what the Oracle at Delphi said. And uh, no one knew what it meant. <laughs> but we're now just they understanding know. now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, so Brett is then walking down a corridor, meowing to find Jonesy. He finds the cat in like some machinery. It falls off something, runs off. It knocks over. Oh, it knocks off like the basically what looks like. I think it must be like shed skin, isn't it? It's like alien shed skin. Anyway, they move into this amazing massive room with water pouring from the ceiling. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly confused about why the yeah. vehicle hangar aboard the Nostromo has got that much water pouring from the ceiling. <laughs> what did they use for propulsion? Because it might be like a... It could be a, a tank leak from somewhere. Yeah. They like could rupture coolant. a lot when they hit the ground. It, it's so. not there for a story reason as much as to give more movement to the scene. That's why yeah. it's there. Yeah. He's alone now, which is terrifying. It's a really great scene. But he goes, he takes off his hat to let the water go on him, and then he puts his hat back on and just stands in the water while his hat gets wet. Well, it's, it's really, like, hot and clammy in there, so he's like, oh yeah, free shower from whatever part of the ship's ruptured and is pouring water everywhere. Is it a free shower? Is it, like... It could be from, like, the toilet. It could be sewage. It's... I don't know. It becomes an alien staple later on, though, that you get, like, drool dripping from the ceiling. But it's not. <laughs> it's just water. Um. Anyway, he finds the cat, but... It hisses and like backs away because as behind him we see the fully grown xenomorph kind of descend. It turns to face it and we get our first proper look at it as it drips KY jelly from its mouth, which I didn't know what that was. So I, it's what they use for saliva. So I googled KY jelly. I regret googling KY jelly. Um, it's a sex thing. It's lube. It's lube. Can, can you be any more innocent, David? <laughs> I'm very. I'm a very. Why do you regret boy. looking this up? It's it's lube. It's a thing. I'm so innocent. I was forgetting that there are actually some times where you see the alien where the, the practical effects are genuinely very, very effective in this movie. Because I, I kept in the back of my mind since the last time I watched it, all I could think of are the occasional shot where it isn't. So I was pleasantly mm. surprised to see quite how good the the alien does look, especially the movements really cool. as it unfurls from yeah. the ceiling. It's very, very creepy. Uh, That's a stuntman. But later it will be Badaji Badeja. I'm trying to remember if I pronounced his name right. But he... Um, he was trained in like Tai Chi, Bulaji Badejo, um, so he could move in like a really nice sinuous way. Now, the the little mouth of the alien spikes Brett in the face, and we sort of see the cat watching it in two shots. And I have genuinely never seen a cat look less interested in something. I mean, we should we should probably <laughs> mention at this point that like the the iconic alien double jaw, like um, it's yeah. kind of like a dragonfly nymph or like a, yes, a it is. Eel. It has a it has a second prehensile jaw inside the other one, except this one could shoot out like a cannon and punch straight through a skull. So with the cat, the way they did this, by the way, was that they had a Rottweiler behind a screen and they raised the screen to make the cat react. Is that cat even real? Cats aren't yeah, afraid yeah, yeah. of dogs, even big ones. This this cat They just was... stand their ground until the dog runs away. That is definitely Some how cats. this was Some done. Cats, this is an so. anecdote I've heard in multiple places. Uh, either way, that's how they did it. Now, we cut back to Parker, who's telling the rest of the crew what's happened. Uh, they now know that the alien's using the air vents and... Lambert kind of asks, and then it's also a hell of a lot bigger. It's a it's a man now. It's a man. It's a very tall man sized man now. She asks what I think is one of the most respectively dumb questions in cinema, Lambert, which is, could Brett be alive? The aliens. It's not that dumb. The fact that they kept people alive. I know, and also actually, uh, in other cuts of the film, Brett sometimes isn't quite dead yet, or and Dallas indeed when he's laser taken is also is not they dead. they don't find blood later on like unless the alien is going back to lick it up, um, <laughs> it's taking them away somewhere before it kills them in a lot of yeah, cases. Yeah, it, it does. It does have a layer. Yeah, it does need some nutrients. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's the idea. The idea is that it was it was um it was eating them. But this is it, in the director's cut, which I didn't watch. You get a bit of that. By the way, their plan is still to drive it towards the airlock. Ash at one point calls it Kane's son, and no one really acknowledges that how weird that is. Uh, and I guess that's son of Kane. Is that a thing? Yes. Oh. It's not spelled the same way, but yes. What son of Cain? Biblical. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a biblical character. Can't say it. Can't say I've Cain read and it. Abel. Oh, right. <laughs> I know. You I know have Cain read it. It's the Old Testament. Heard David. The Old it's Testament. in the Torah. <laughs> do you think I've fucking read the Torah? <laughs> Why would I do that? I know well, the Surely stories. you've seen any like Simpsons episodes or like at least some. Kind I know of... who Cain and Abel are. I know who okay. Cain and Abel are. You Cain played Binding of Isaac. Yeah, Shut exactly. <laughs> Oh, wait, right. Okay. They, um, so they decide to try and use fire because it's something they think could work and basically because it's something they don't know doesn't work, which I quite like that logic. Creatures are afraid of fire and fire tends to not make things bleed, so... Exactly. It's a good idea. Uh, we then cut to the same model shot again of the ship kind of coming in from behind the camera. Uh, Dallas at the console is asking Mother for advice, but it's like, cannot compute. And he's like, what are my chances? And cannot compute, which is pretty cool. Dallas goes into the vents to try and kind of get it towards the airlock. He moves in with what I thought was a flaming torch, but it's actually a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was like, wow. He's, I was like, wow, it's a primitive man with like a flaming torch driving the bees. And it was like, there he has a fuck off masses flamethrower. Yes, they communicate with Dallas over comms and uh, they sort of lose the signal. At, at the same time, he sort of touches like the KY jelly on the floor. So he knows the alien's been there and having a fun time. Well, he has and, suspicion. Uh, I don't think they know what that is at this point. No one's seen you, that. Well, he, he thinks, gosh, this is a new type of coolant I've not noticed. No, he, know, he knows <laughs> it's probably something from the alien, but he doesn't know what. No one's seen... Well, it's, uh, to be fair, it's not actually KY Jelly in the in the context of the film. Or maybe it is. We we don't know. Maybe I don't know where KY Jelly is. getting freaky in the air vents. <laughs> in the air vents. Um, anyway... So Dallas is like starting to get scared. A dot starts approaching him. He starts to climb up a ladder to escape. He gets somewhere. The torchlight illuminates him. It's behind him. The signal cuts off. Really good jump scare. The crew freak out. Excellent. Dallas is Dallas is gone. It's a classic case of uh, the, the first time they realised their motion trackers do not operate on the Z axis. <laughs> Ah. Or the y-axis, whatever. They don't realise that, like, yep. when it, that it's not on the same level as you, which will become a trend in later movies. So they they think, oh, it's, yeah, it's right there. It's like, no, it's not. It's right there, a level below. Ah, uh, oh right. Oh, see, you're explaining. This is what always happens. I get stuff explained to me that I didn't understand. So the leftover crew they discuss the plan. Yeah, Ripley wants to keep to the, the current idea of Lord's the air event. Lambert wants to basically just run. Parker wants to go kill it now. And Ash, I, I mean, he doesn't really say anything. I assume he kind of wants to like mutilate animals or something. Anyway, <laughs> they come up with a plan which involves sticking together, which seems like a good idea. Um, Ash... Oh, the point is, like, they, they, they shut down Lambert's otherwise sensible suggestion to just abandon ship by saying, the shuttle does not have space for all of us. Uh, in like, it does, like I believe the shuttle has got two seats no, and I two guess parts. not enough, yeah, resources. Why does the escape boat aboard this commercial ship only have space for two of the seven crew? Because the companies are cheap. They they sold the others uh, in a in a card game at the last dock they were at. <laughs> to her credit, 
Lambert does not do what I... I mean, to be fair, they pair her up immediately. If they hadn't paired her up, I would have suspected that she would have gone to this, gone and shut herself into the shuttle and blasted off by herself. Well, what would have happened is, if you don't think of how the script would have gone, she might have done that, but she'd have definitely been killed, like, on the way. That's, like, how it That would have been an interesting take, but, like, they pair her up with someone so she can't run away. Yeah. Either way, Parker then goes off on his own, which will be fine. Uh, Ripley asks mother why basically Ash is so useless. And it was like, info classified by Order 937, uh, which is only viewable to the science officer. Basically, what it turns out is that it's a company order ordering the rerouting to these new coordinates, catch the organism, return it for study. Yeah, Ripley has a cheat code, so she just gets through Order 937 by inputting her cheat code. The computer's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll tell you. (laughs) It's the Konami code. Up, down, left, right, B, A, slash. Um, but yeah, so the crew are expendable. Uh-oh, Ash isn't good. And literally, she like tips her head back a bit and Ash is just there. Oh, you actually do hear the door opening if you, if you listen carefully. Oh, do carefully. you? Uh, okay. uh, about the time when she puts in the cheat code, you hear the door opening. He goes, there is an explanation for this, you know. She slams him into a wall, but then she just like sobs and leaves. She then tries to contact the others, but Ash starts like locking her in. And also, she's having a nosebleed. I didn't know. Yeah, I've got a question. This. Have you got any information about why her nose is bleeding? No, I didn't. Maybe she hurt herself when she slammed Ash into the wall, or maybe it's like a continuity error because he's not actually hit her yet. I'm not sure. I don't have. Maybe it's just a stress thing. Maybe the cheat code was like she was like 11 from Stranger Things, and she had to like use psychic powers <laughs> to get in. Anyway, he is basically dripping. I think he's dripping milk because he's already started to like leak some white fluid, and he slams her into a wall. Then he's he gets to chuck her about point, more. Like he's getting yeah. comfortable. He, sh- he throws her into what I can only assume was a man's cabin. Um, and he tries to choke her by shoving a magazine vertically down her throat, which really did remind oh, me God. of Hugo Stiglitz. Well, like I said, people are saying this is a really inefficient way of killing her. He's kind of almost disgusted by humans at this point, Ash. He's, he's, he's got respect for the alien, doesn't like humans. Yeah. He's trying not to touch her. Yeah, I it's, think it's that's the weird. reason he's it's... doing it. He just, he's, he's uncomfortable. Just, with he's humans. just gone super weird. Like now yeah. he's, like, he's like shaking and vibrating. Ian Home is so good in this. It's Parker really and Lambert come in fantastic. and they try and pull Ash off, and he, without even looking at them, resists them. Grabs Parker's chest so hard he screams. But ultimately, yeah, Parker... he does like a five finger death grip and like yeah. crushes his <laughs> man titty. And he, uh, he's you, so strong. Gosh, you are a poet, aren't you? <laughs> ultimately Parker smashes him in the neck Ash then goes absolutely crazy he starts like squirting milk off out of everywhere spinning about until Parker absolutely smashes his head yeah, off and he so gets, good I, I've written just here horrible screeching milk body then gets up and goes <laughs> after Parker I think, and... I think it's white paint at this point because no, it they is, needed it so is much not. of it because it's staining things and milk. Oh, okay. Do that. They definitely use. They definitely do use milk for this. Um, for some definitely. of it, when it starts yeah. staining stuff, I, I, oh, I'm okay. saying it must be something different. Very, very thick milk. Ash's horrible body gets up and goes for Parker, and I think this is actually the scariest bit of the movie. For me, I find this body so grotesque. Mm. I find it scary in the alien personally. I, I do think the performance of Ash is like is yeah. so good and like sets it's a precedent for um just um, and ultimately he is representative of the company in this and the company is the real villain yeah. of all the alien films but you know what and so... his sub his subplot was added later and the original writers were really pissed off about it and didn't like it it's really good it's really I, good i think it's it, it really adds good. an extra level of depth that the film 
Yeah, like the the uh, it opens it up for sequels. It opens it up for just the yeah. wider the wider themes of it. You can see how the film would function without it because they go to the Definitely. planet. They could go to the planet independently of it, but I think it works so well. And Lambert skewers him with like a spike, uh, like a pole. Mm. Which just destroys him. It's also reminiscent of the thing as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I see that. Um, but as they realise that the company probably wants the alien for like weapons research, so they decide they're going to reactivate Ash to try and get more information. They separate his head from the bod from his body, and you can see like inside his cavity. It's really gross. So I can tell you what this was. They used for this. It was milk, caviar, pasta, fibre optics, and specifically Foley's urinary catheters. Yeah, I'm gonna say those those were either something that those are definitely something designed to go inside a human body. Yeah. Today we're sponsored by Foley's Yonu Cavitas. <laughs> I mean pasta's designed to go in a body. That's true. As is caviar. <laughs> well, no, that's not designed. It's to. not designed for it. <laughs> but it can. <laughs> Five optics. <laughs> Maybe not. Um yeah, so they, they separate Ash from his body and they reactivate this head. Let's be honest, Tim. The most obvious jump cut I've ever seen from prop to it real head. It was a head. very yeah, because the prop isn't cut. even standing up properly. No. Like it just keeps flopping over, and then it cuts, and suddenly it's just wedged upright, and clearly it's a human head stuck through the yeah. floor. Yeah, it's always been recognised that this this wasn't necessarily done very well, but it's the it's best still shot cool. of the film. Um, I speak, and he's got he looks like he's covered in something. He looks like he's been having a fun time, shall we say, with what's covering his his face. But um, I I actually did laugh. Um, <laughs> what as, happened as he... to the innocent David? <laughs> He died. <laughs> died with Ash. He's died when he looked up the, the gel. Yeah. <laughs> now now bad David is here. Uh, no, so the milk, he opened his mouth before he talks and like milk comes out. <laughs> anyway, does Ash know how to kill the alien? And he just goes, you can't. It's the perfect organism. He's just like, I admire its purity. A survivor, unclouded by conscience, morality, delusions of morality, remorse. He then says, you know, I give you my sympathies, basically, and they just unplug him, and he reverts back to the terrible prop. But it's really, again, great, great last line for him. It's just really mm. good. It's just, it's just really good. It's not, it's awesome, even though it looks silly. It's, it's awesome. And Parker, Parker walks away as the, then turns back and burns Set him with a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, they're going to go try and escape in the shuttle. It'll take 10 minutes. This is sort of signaling, I think, that we're coming towards the end of the movie. As is indeed the constantly decreasing number of crewmen. Parker and Lambert go off. Ripley stays at the console, but here's Jones. So again, another character's like, oh, I'm just going to follow the, find a cat in this horrifying situation. They wheel. It's really, really cool. Parker and Lambert are like wheeling all this equipment, aren't they? Through these corridors, like looking about. Because they have to bring this equipment through. But also... They're like well aware that they're being hampered by something. They're also making way too much noise, but they can't really avoid that. Also, if this escape pod requires you to go halfway around the ship and like find resources to bring to the escape pod, you've got some issues with your ship and escape pod design. That shit tends to be in lifeboats already. It might be something to do with the damage they sustain, though, because they haven't fully repaired stuff. This, the, the, but the pod's totally fine. It's just not ready for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's what you think, but plot says not. Yeah, but I mean, the plot the plot has to require the ship to not be ready, despite the fact that like, this, is, this is a terrible design ship. There's a great fact here, when Sigourney Weaver gets the cat, um, so Sigourney Weaver, it turns out, was allergic to the combination of cat hair and glycerin, which is what they use to do sweat, and yeah. so she couldn't use both together, which I didn't really know you could be like allergic to just a combination of two things like that, but apparently... Lambert, as you say, makes noise. She makes what I've written here as the loudest noise known to man by knocking over one of the gas cylinders. <laughs> um, and then the cat jumps <laughs> they're, they're like throwing those things around. Yeah. 
<laughs> the cat jump scares Ripley. She picks him up and seals him with a little carry box, which is pretty sweet. And then, yeah, so what happened is, as Lambert and Parker kind of load up, a spotlight is shining on Lambert. The alien moves in the foreground behind the camera and it casts a shadow onto Lambert, but it's not immediately obvious whether or not it's like the alien or like a hanging spacesuit or even Parker. And then she double takes and that's when we know that it's the alien and it's maybe my favourite shot in the entire movie. And then you have Par- Ripley can hear it all over the comms, like Parker like screaming at her to move but so he can take a shot with the screamer, but he, she can't. I had forgotten how uh, how the two of them managed to die and then when I, when I watched this again I was like ah okay Parker Bailey said he won't fire his flamethrower at the alien because yeah. Lambert's right behind it he doesn't want to hurt or kill her so instead he's too good a guy he drops the flamethrower yeah. and tries to tackle the alien like a badass yeah he is a badass it's amazing so the tail the alien tail whips him drools all over him and then little mouths him in his mouth it looked like basically it was gruesome. It was gruesome. Anyway, he, he kills Lambert off screen. Um, although I, I feel like I read somewhere that like it, that they originally did do that as well, but it was like too gory and upsetting, mm. and they thought it works better off screen. Well, they show the aftermath. Yeah, so we see them like dripping, hanging from stuff, covered in blood. He's he, Parker's dead where where it, where it killed him on the floor, but it's like Lambert's Lambert hanging. Up. You just see yeah. blood dripping down a leg, hanging from the ceiling. Um, she Ripley, Ripley, when she goes to find them, by the way, she's heading towards, she's got flamethrower in one hand, cat carrier in the other. I mean, it's if so you good. watch Aliens, you'll notice that her dual wielding a flamethrower with something else becomes a trend. Yeah. It is, it's, aliens, it becomes like, it becomes something oh. she's known for. I'm more bothered about the fact that in her other hand, in her off hand, it's a cat. Deadliest weapon known to man. <laughs> cat. Anyway, Ripley finds their bloody bodies. She then starts running with basically only her and Jones alive. She sets the auto-destruct going. And actually, that is really cool. It's really clunky. You have to, like, twist stuff and go, you know, up. It's, it's like, quite cool. It's like many levels of safety that disable the cooling system for the reactor. We then mm. see Ripley running down this the corridor with this flavor, constantly checking around. And this is the moment where I understood why this character is so iconic. Um, it's so tense. You've got, like, the strobe lights going. The alien actually does rise up. Uh, near her she like sinks to the floor in terror slowly backs away leaving the alien looking down at a again incredibly nonplussed cat in a cat carrier which it leaves totally alone (laughs) the alien clearly not fussed about cats is it like minecraft creepers running away from cats it's possible i mean we don't know the origins of the creeper so maybe they were created by the prometheans by the engineers like the predators with the engineers (laughs) Or something. Or the engineers something. are the players of Minecraft. <laughs> Rid- Ridley Scott's Minecraft. <laughs> Block runner. So she keeps running. There's six minutes left. She tries to deactivate the auto-destruct because obviously the aliens cut off her route to the shuttle. But she misses the five-minute cut-off point for it. So she can't. She calls the computer a bitch, which seems uncalled for. Then strikes it. And then she heads back to the t- to the um, shuttle, like flamethrower out, smoke and mist. It's so much happening, and as you were saying before about like the soundtrack reminding you of silence, even though there's noise, there's so much happening, and yet it also kind of feels quite still. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no action, no alien. It's just Ripley. But yeah, it's. I think the sound. I think you've you've made a good point throughout. It's like the sound sound design does so much to mm. to like portray this film, and it's it definitely feels like a very conscious choice. Because oh, it's it's absolutely like it's definitely deliberate. Ripley's really driven and needs to just focus on 
I'm getting out. <laughs> they could they could rename this film. Maybe she gets back to Earth and they don't believe her. It's uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> no. No. Oh dear. <laughs> I, you got a you got a, a sigh. Listen, she sees the airlock and Jones. <laughs> Listen, um, no, she sees the airlock and also Jones. She picks up the cat. They edge forward to the airlock. Fire starts going behind her. She gets on the shuttle. She has one minute left before the destruction, and she basically launches the shuttle. And I'm like, oh, it's so tense. Where is the alien? I actually thought at this point she got away. We see the Nostromo disappear, just disappear out the window, like so quick as she takes off. I'm like, damn, that acceleration. <laughs> then again, they got some gravity on the ship, so the acceleration probably isn't going to be crushing her or anything. I would say, this this explosion, it does look like it happens three times. It does, yeah. Why? I don't know. No. Editing? Or possibly? It might be, I guess maybe there are multiple detonations that occur during self-destruct. It's all fine, but... it just looks weird. Yeah. Anyway, the camera holds on her. She's exhausted. She's sweating. She gets Jones out, tells him it's all right, even though, again, he seems fine anyway, very much. And then she puts him into a freezer pot. I'm going to be honest, her cuddling the cat, I don't like cats, but I think, I, I think yeah, Jones oh, deserves sweet. a cuddle. I like this cat. Sigourney so Weaver then gets ready for to get into cryosleep. And then she approaches what's very clearly the sight, sort of top-down look of the alien head. It's like lying on the it's wall. Sort of. They do a very good design in in all the the classic alien stuff of making the uh, mechanical stuff on the ship look very similar to the kind of biomechanical design of the alien because they want it to be like every shadow and every form becomes yeah, creepy, yeah. even on re, especially on rewatch when you know what the alien looks like. Those shapes mm. become creepy. It's a really nice, deliberate choice on the on the filmmaker's part. It is. I mean, the design of the alien is fantastic, and it's uh, part of the horror was the idea that you don't necessarily know what it's going to look like next time because you don't always you don't get like good looks at it, yeah. um, really ever. But yes, the alien is here, and I've written no. I want to go to bed, please, because I was watching this quite late. <laughs> um, she runs. She hides in a corner as the alien kind of lurks. Uh, which the idea is, that, by the way, that, it's sleepy. It's had a big meal. It's sleepy. The idea is that it's dying. The, its life cycle is short enough that it's dying. That was the initial oh, idea. That's, cool. that's why it's like greyish. But I think I, I'm assuming that changes for later movies. But well, to be fair, it is a drone. The, the, yeah, it is. Later, there are different alien classes. There are different one classes. In this movie is a drone. Yeah, so that's that's the idea of why it's kind of a bit lethargic. It doesn't go for her until she goes for it. But yeah, so he, she very slowly climbs into this spacesuit, which looks really cool, and gets like a mini harpoon gun. She then basically sprays it with coolant. Till it kind of climbs out of the like hole it's in and gets in the open, and as it kind of slowly approaches, her, she just blows the airlock. So it sucks she out. She's clear. She already strapped herself into the. Yeah, seat. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's just, she's not going with. It. She's like it'd be really funny if she hadn't. She she just goes past. The alien has the ship now. Okay, um, the door shuts, but it's clinging to the outside, so it can survive in vacuum space, like we said before. Because the bloody of... harpoon gun got stuck in the door. Yeah, and so it's tethered there near the engine. Finn? Finn? Gosh, well, Finn just got uh, sucked out of the airlock. So he, he's gone um, with the alien who's been blasted out into space by the engines. I was going to say, when they say this thing's a tough son of a bitch, it survives the vacuum of space. It survives being roasted by the engines of the ship. And, then it, and, and it's the cable that breaks and it just drifts off. 
I, I don't know why, but in the back of my mind, I remember the scene where the engines incinerate it. So um, I'm I assume that's, that's, surprised that's not happen. what happens. No. And then, like, I watched it again. And I'm like, oh, wow, that thing really is tough. She makes a final log report. Um, she's pretty sad. She lists all the names of her dead friends. And then she gets into a sleep pod and it fades to stars and credits roll. Now, can I tell you something about this scene? Because that wasn't the initial plan. The initial plan of Ridley Scott, uh, and the studio said, no, we prefer it to be the way we saw it in the film, was that the alien would just bite off Ripley's head at the end and then it would make the final log in her voice. Oh, that, that, nah, <laughs> worst, that, that, that's too movie. much. Worst yeah, movie. No. I, I, yeah, for once, studio, studio is right. Uh, this is a better ending. Yeah, that's it. That is Alien. Great movie. I think we could all say we all liked it. It's one of the best sci-fi horrors ever made. I have a little fact for you guys and then a little game to end on. Do you remember what the main character in Prometheus is called? I forgot, to be honest. I kind of tried to forget about yeah, sure. Prometheus. What's her first name? Um, Elizabeth. I Elizabeth think. Shaw is the John Pertwee's first companion. Oh, okay. Same name and Ridley Scott, I believe, has confirmed that it's named after her. And now the game. Last time in the Halloween episode, I did, is it a Smashing Pumpkin song or is it a horror movie? Today, I present to you, is it an alien spin-off thing or is it a Slipknot song? Oh, oh God. God, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> for, for those of you who don't know Slipknot, they are a, I don't know, they're what, a, they're, what, they're, what's they're, they're a hard, they're, they're a kind of Part like, metal. heavy metal, definitely heavy metal. heavy metal. They're yeah. very like loud and screamy and they wear these crazy masks on stage i'm a big fan of their concerts are legendary they they're known for having crazy there's a guy who headbangs so hard at their concerts once he had like a brain aneurysm they are super hardcore and i'm a big fan rest in peace to their to their founding uh drummer joey just died recently yeah um i'm a huge fan of their frontman Corey taylor oh he's he's amazing He's really cool. I really like him. That's the connection to Neil Fingleton, by the way, because Neil Fingleton played the body of a Doctor Who monster, which Sarah Finowitz, Peter Serafinowitz voiced, but Corey Taylor provided its scream. That's awesome. It's really cool. But yeah, Corey Taylor, really cool guy. He's been on QI a couple times as well. He just seems like a total, total legend. Oh, he is, especially the fact that he's been through shit. Like, he has yeah. been through absolute shit, if you ever look into him. Mm. Either way, it's just a not really intense band. Turns out their songs sound like Alien spin-off. So let's let's start number one, right, guys? Yeah. Alien Two. So that would be just so that would mean that if it's an alien thing, it would be Alien Colon Alien Two or Aliens Colon Alien Two. If it's a Slipknot song, it would just be called Alien Two. So do you think Alien Two is a is a video game? I mean, is it an Alien thing or a Slipknot song? Oh fuck! I'm hmm. gonna say, and I'm probably gonna. Because I'm supposed to be a fan of Slipknot here, I'm probably gonna say. So I'm, I'm more likely gonna gonna butcher myself here, but I'm gonna go on a limb <laughs> and say that it's a Slipknot song. Right, I'm gonna Jack. say it's a spin-off that was made between the actual movies. It is a. I'm afraid to say, Fraser. It is a video game, an alien. Ah, video that was game. my second. It's, that that's what. It's Aliens: Colon Alien Two, which was released in 1987. That's a very confusing Exclusive title. to Japan. Yeah, it was made by Square Enix or Square at the time. Uh, number two, Nightmare Asylum. 
Is that an alien thing or is it a Slipknot song? That sounds like a Slipknot song title to me. That sounds like a Slipknot song title. If it is anything alien-related, I'm going to be surprised. I'm going to say Slipknot because I don't think asylums would be a thing in the alien universe. I think they'd probably just euthanize you. Oh my god, bro. <laughs> it's a not both... a very nice universe. Well, you're both wrong. It's an alien book. Um, oh, okay, I would never have known that. <laughs> Opium of the People. Slipknot, Slipknot. song. What Jack say? Slipknot. Yeah, you both right. It is, it is a slip moss. Like, I thought that one. I'm annoyed I didn't get the asylum one. I've read some of the alien books. Um, okay, next one. Mondo Pest. That doesn't sound like a Slipknot song title. So I'm going to say it's an I alien. Think Mondo's a planet. Yeah. Oh right, yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a comic book. Yeah, you're right. It's an alien comic book. How about uh, this one? This one's quite hard. Uh, Do nothing slash bitch slap. Do you think that's a Slipknot song? That's got to be Slipknot. <laughs> that has to be Slipknot. There's no way that's an alien. Thing. <laughs> it is of course a Slipknot song. How about Gehenna? That sounds like an alien thing. If, if it's Slipknot, then I'm going to be very I'm gonna surprised. Say alien. Yeah, well, you're both wrong. It's Slipknot. Goddamn. Uh, music of the Spears. So not alien. Spears, Spears. Alien. Uh, alien. Yeah, it is alien. It's just bad pun. Disaster piece? <laughs> Slipknot. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, Slipknot. Yeah, it's Slipknot, of course. How about Into Charybdis? That could be both. Alien. Uh, alien. It is alien. How about uh, DNA War? <laughs> That's definitely that's, alien. That's definitely <laughs> alien. Of course it's alien. Uh, be prepared for hell. Slipknot. Slipknot. Slipknot is right. How about Pulse of Maggots? Slipknot. 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 River of Pain. Slipknot. Alien. Alien. Okay, <laughs> Sorry, there we go. Uh, how about this one? This one's also tough. Uh, Batman slash Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Alien. <laughs> is there a Judge Dredd alien universe crossover? There is. There is a Judge Dredd. Uh, there is a Judge Dredd alien crossover. Yeah. So, come on, Jack. You've not answered. You think this is a Slipknot song? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's an alien comic book. How about this one? Uh, Batman slash Aliens Two. That's obviously alien. Slipknot. Do you think, clearly. Do you think? Do you think that could be a Slipknot song? It's a Slipknot song parodying uh, the Alien. <laughs> no, it is. It is indeed the sequel to Batman slash Aliens. I will say the history of Alien crossover is weird. There's there's Judge Dredd. Yeah. There's Vampirella. There's uh, Green Lanterns. And then of course Blade Runner. Has that happened? Whaling the Atani Corporation exists in the Blade Runner universe. I have a theory based on the dates. The Alien universe is set about 500 years after. I have a theory that all the humans in Alien are actually replicants. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, because they don't seem to have things like disease. They don't seem to worry about disease um, from co- uh, interacting with other species. Um, I get the impression. And also, they're quite strong, the humans in the Alien universe. And also, bear in mind, they have androids rather than replicants in Alien, which seems to be a bit of a downgrade. If they have androids in the, in a shared universe where they have replicants, then surely that means that the human replicant difference is no longer a thing by this point in the timeline. Because otherwise, why would they have, you know, why would the androids be considered different? Mm. I have no idea what The replicants fill the same role as androids. They're just much more human. I, I know so. what, what, what Jack's on about, and I think he's on something there. I, I assume that if you if you watch Blade Runner 2049, then you'll, you'll get what I'm going for here, which is the... Which is why I understand, yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't seen either of them, though. Okay. <laughs> because I wouldn't have, would I? Because it's me. Right, it's time to finish. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that. Again, you can see the picture of me in the super scary Halloween costume on my Twitter feed, at Dalek Platypus. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween.